Would you please turn with me to your sunny outlines? And as you turn, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study, as well as our friends in Arco, Idaho, and our friends in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad as we continue our series, Can't Lose. Today we're going to talk about learning the playbook. Okay, how many of you like me? How many of you have one person in your life that you just can't figure out? Okay, let me, let me see your hands. One person at work, one person at school, maybe you're married to them, maybe they're a good friend, and you just can't figure them out. And communication and relationships is such a hard thing. And, and so we need to learn the playbook, and we're going to talk about how to do that, how to figure each other out better, and how to love each other in a way that we can understand and receive. One word in English for love. One word. We use the same word for I love my friend to my dog loves his dog food. Same word we use. Three words in Greek that the New Testament was written in uh, for love. Four words in the Hebrew that the Old Testament was written in uh, for love. And today we're going to talk about the five languages of love. And to kick things off is my wife, Kimberly. Come on out there. All right. We're going to find out about your love language in a couple minutes, right? So, all righty, have you ever, I need your help on this, have you ever wondered why solitary confinement is considered the ultimate punishment? Or how about when you tell your kids nose and toes in the corner and you're going to have a timeout, right? Why is that such an effective punishment for most of us? Because it puts us in isolation, Isolation is the thing that is the most challenging, the most difficult, the most despised situation, and yet God wired us for relationship, to get out of isolation. God is the one who made us crave love, to crave companionship, to crave fellowship with other people. And so when we take ourselves out of that and we remove that, then that's where we get such challenges in our relationships like uh, we were saying earlier. So if you are in a marriage, if you have children, if you have siblings, parents, if you have coworkers, boyfriends, girlfriends, relationships in your life that seem to not quite click, then we would like you to follow along today and learn about love languages. We're going to go over several of them today, the five that Glenn was mentioning, and we would like you to kind of take a look and see, maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's why my loved ones and I, you know, I come home and I say this and he doesn't get it. I go into work and I try to do this and nobody understands. Well, maybe what's happening is like we say with love languages, you aren't communicating in the same way. You might be projecting it one way, but they're not receiving it in their way. We would call one your primary language, your native language, the one that you're most comfortable speaking. And they might be receiving it in their love language, which is not yours at all. And so the two are missing one another as if one of you spoke Dutch and one of you spoke Chinese. And you were trying to communicate, and one's going this way, and one's going this way, and nobody can communicate. It's just a lot of actions and words and trying to move around each other and make connection. And that is not effective. And so what we hope to present to you today is a way to get past that and recognizing, as we will throughout the morning, that Jesus himself is multilingual. He speaks all the love languages. He knows how to reach into your heart and reach into your life and grab you and help you feel his love. And then in response to that, he receives the love that you pour back to him in whatever way is most comfortable for you. And we'll look at that again today as well. So what we want you to consider is your love language. Think about it, look at it, study it. But then also think about those in your life that you love. 
those of you that you work with, those of you live with, those in your neighborhood, those that you interact with on a regular basis, and think about their love language. Now, that's going to be the tricky part, is you're going to say, well, then they don't need to know how to speak to me in the way I best receive love, the way that I'm most comfortable with. Mm-mm. What we're going to work on is learning to speak a secondary language because we want to speak their primary language in the way that they're going to receive our message of love. And so that is the trick, that is the secret, and that is the challenge so that we can't lose. If we are better together, then the way we achieve that is by working together to lift one another up, to build one another up, to encourage one another, and to find a way so that we can know that playbook, like Glenn said, study our teammates, learn how they run the plays best, and then adjust our game strategy. So now we're going to have Miss Sarah come up, and she's going to tell us about quality time. time. Thank you. (laughs) Good morning. We get to go through each of the five love languages with you, and I'm so excited to start with quality time. Quality time is about giving the people you love your undivided attention. And quality time is so powerful because when you give someone 20 minutes, whether you're listening or conversing with each other or doing something that they enjoy or that you both enjoy, you're giving each other the gift of time. And really, you're giving each other life because you'll never get those 20 minutes back. So it's so important and so powerful. I wanted to share with you about quality time because I wanted to confess that I'm not very good at quality time. And even though it's something that everybody around, a lot of people around me love and value, I value it too, but it's harder for me. And it's something I feel like God is continually working on in my heart and showing me how to do. So I was hoping that maybe if anyone else here struggles with quality time, that this could be encouraging or helpful. My son, Charlie, when he was almost two and my daughter was born, he went through this major daddy-only phase. He would have tantrums with me and not with daddy. He would run and snuggle with daddy and not with me. And I remember trying to teach him to say, hi, mama. And he'd look at me and smile and go, hi, dada. And so I was, I was upset. I felt like we weren't connecting. We were missing each other. And I remember one morning just spending time praying and asking God to help me connect better with Charlie. And like he does, he revealed to me that I had been spending time with Charlie and multitasking. I was working at home from the time, and I would be working on stuff and talking to him, or I'd be holding his little sister while feeding him, or playing hide-and-seek with him, but really organizing the closet and putting away toys and pretending to play hide-and-seek, you know? So I realized that I needed to spend, I needed to take everything off the table for that day. So I didn't get the laundry done. I didn't make dinner. I didn't finish my work. But I cuddled with Charlie. I played with Charlie. We played I'm Gonna Get Ya. We played hide-and-seek. We read together. And it was amazing to me. That night, he looked at me, and for the first time ever, he said, I love you, Mama. And that just filled my heart up with so much joy, and I felt so productive. Even though I hadn't accomplished what I meant to for that day, I felt like we connected so instantly, and our our connection was stronger and was better because of that. Now, we have the best model of this in Scripture. Jesus models for us over and over again the importance of quality time. And in the midst of the hustle and bustle with his disciples, we're going to look actually at Mark 631. And Jesus calls his disciples away. He invites them to quality time with him. And they had been on a mission, on this wearisome journey. They'd been performing miracles and healing the sick and preaching the gospel. And they're about to feed the 5,000. And in the midst of this hustle and bustle, here's what it says. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place 
and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. I love this because Jesus was with his disciples, but he wanted more. He wanted time alone with them. He wanted quality time. And this shows his tenderness and his love and his heart towards his disciples. And in the quote in Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, it says, a central aspect of quality time is togetherness. I do not mean proximity. Togetherness has to do with focused attention. Jesus didn't want to just be around his disciples with this huge crowd doing things. He wanted focused attention. He wanted to look them in the eye and spend time with them. I love this quote because it reminds me that we can be in the same house with the people we love and not even know them. We can be on our computers, on our phones, doing things besides being together and getting to know each other more. So what is your play? If you, like me, struggle with quality time, here are some ideas for you. The first one is to schedule meetings with your teammates. And your teammates are your spouses, your kids, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your friends, your coworkers. Schedule meetings with no purpose other than to connect, other than to get to know their heart and get to know more about them. The next one is, this one is really challenging and really hard for me. Do something that you know the other person enjoys, but you don't. This is super hard, and I remember one time, I'm embarrassed to say it's one time, I'm going to do it more, I promise, but one time I played ping pong with Eric outside, and he lost his mind, he was so excited, and I wanted to be doing stuff, getting stuff done, but we went out and we played ping pong together, and he, on the other hand, he will come with me to musicals, where there's like no talking or anything, singing and dancing and costumes, and it makes me so happy because I know he's bored out of his mind, but he's there with me, next to me, so that means a lot to me. Another one is, this might sound funny, but setting a timer. Setting a timer or having a timed amount of time that you're going to have quality time with someone. The other day, I had a lot of stuff to get done, but I set the timer for 15 minutes, and me and the kiddos jumped on the trampoline, and we actually went beyond the 15 minutes, and it was so much fun connecting together. And another one is couch time. Eric and I, at the end of the day, we sit together on the couch and just talk about our day, even if it's only for five minutes, just so we can make sure that we have that time to connect before we get on with the busy things that we have to do. So you might be thinking, well, there's so much to do. I don't have time for quality time. I don't have time to put in more, more time in my relationships. But quality time is essential to our relationships. Just like food is essential to our health, quality time is so important to our relationships, to making others feel loved, and to having those lasting moments with each other. So when you have quality conversation, there are four tips to help you have the best quality conversations that you can and to show the people around you that you love them. And this is not just for spouses. This is for friends and coworkers and boyfriends and girlfriends and everybody. So the first one is to maintain eye contact. This one is really hard, but it's so important. It shows you care and shows you're listening. The next one is don't listen and do something else at the same time. Don't multitask. And that, again, shows that you care about what they're saying to you and what you're saying to each other. The next one is to listen for feelings. What emotions is he or she expressing when you're talking to each other? And the last one is so important. Refuse to interrupt. There's recent research that shows that we take only 17 seconds until we interject our own feelings. And that doesn't communicate love. That communicates that it's more important what we have to say than what the other person has to say. So here are four tips to keep in mind that I'm trying to keep in mind in my conversations. And I just want to leave you with this one piece of advice. For quality time, is it a sacrifice 
Absolutely. Do you sometimes have to do things that you don't necessarily enjoy just to spend time with the other person? Yes. But what is in it for us? The pleasure of having relationships with people who feel loved by us, who know that we love them and know that we put in the time to learn their language and speak it fluently. And also, when we have quality time with each other, we have lasting moments. When I look back at the end of my life, I want to remember the coffee, milky conversations and the jumping on the trampoline and the late night walks with Eric or talks with friends at a coffee shop. That's what I want to remember. I'm never going to be grateful that I returned every email or washed every dish, though those things are important. Important. I'm not saying they're not important. Doing God's work is important and completing tasks are important. But Jesus reminds us that spending quality time with each other is necessary to our relationships and will help us grow. So now I would like to invite up Eric for acts of service. Man, you guys, I got to be honest. She is godly, gorgeous, and a better preacher than me, which is hurtful. Um, but man, that was, that was incredible. So yeah, we're just walking through these five as quickly as we can with you. And we want you to begin to think about not only for yourself, but as Kimberly was saying, the people around you, what is their primary love language? And it was interesting when the four of us were getting together and beginning to strategize about this, we kind of intentionally picked the ones uh, that we're worst at, the ones that, that are actually challenging for us. Because like Sarah was saying, um, it takes effort. And so the one that I picked um, was acts of service. And I just got to be honest with you, this is an absolute challenge for me. Um, I make a living speaking, and so I'm fine doing that. Um, but when it comes to acts of service, it's just not a natural way of uh, for me to love people. And I want you to think about the people around you, your roommates and your coworkers and your friends and, and your spouses and kids and all the people that God has put in your sphere of influence and your neighbors. If there's any of them who they're, the way that they best receive love is through acts of service, then this statement um, is huge for them. That actions truly speak louder than words. That you could be saying a lot to them, but what they are looking for is for you to back it up with your actions. I remember uh, when Sarah and I were first kind of discovering some of this content and learning it and reading from this book, we were actually in a small group setting and we were going through it and, and talking through it. And, and I discovered that, you know, this is one of Sarah's love languages, that she appreciates acts of service. And it's really, really difficult for me. And I've got to be honest with you, when it comes Saturday morning, and there's some chores to be done, man, those are the Saturdays where I've got a wicked hangnail that just can't get me out of bed, you know? And, and I, I, or, or all of a sudden the cough will come over me and I'm just, I'm, I'm useless for that day. I can watch TV, but I'm useless for that day. And, and so for me, honestly, I, I look at, you know, the things that need to get done around our house and I just want to like party all the time and hang out with people all the time, but there's things that got to get done. And in Sarah and I's house, you know, we share these chores, we share those responsibilities. And so after reading this, this book, I remember it was a Wednesday and I, I came up to Sarah and I said, Sarah, this Saturday is going to be a really, really special Saturday because this Saturday is officially titled Shiny Saturday which means we are going to clean. We are going to, I've heard of these things called baseboards. We're going to take care of those, whatever those are. Uh, fans that need to be clean, changing light bulbs, never done that. We'll figure it out. I, I'm thinking, man, this is going to be absolutely amazing. It was so incredible is we spent this morning and it wasn't all day. It was just like a little bit of time, but it meant so much to Sarah, not just that I was cleaning, but that, that I took the initiative, that I noticed something that needed to get done. Something necessary that, that needed to happen in order for our family to thrive and flourish. And I was intentional about that and I was proactive. And if you've got people in your life 
who their primary love language is acts of service, you've got to be intentional about the necessary things that need to get done. And I want to point us to a scripture passage in a minute where we see Jesus notice something that needs to get done. And he doesn't just stop by noticing it. Or he doesn't think that somebody else should go ahead and take care of it. But he takes the responsibility to do that which is necessary. We find this in John chapter 13 beginning in verse 1. It says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And then check out what Jesus did next. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And then verse five, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You see what Jesus did in this moment is he did something that was absolutely culturally necessary But at the same time, it was culturally radical, culturally inappropriate for Jesus to have done that. You see, in order for a meal to take place, especially when you would walk into somebody's house back in this time, it was necessary to wash their feet. That that was something that, that would happen. The difference was it usually happened by a servant or by a child, or by somebody who is viewed as lower than the person who was having their feet washed. And so Jesus noticed something that needed to get done, and yet he did something culturally inappropriate, culturally radical, and he was the one to serve. He was the one to get down on his knees and help. And you know, some of us struggle with pride. Some of us may think, oh, we're above this. We're above serving in that way. And it's usually because that's not our primary way of showing love. But what I love about what Kimberly said in the beginning is Jesus is multilingual. And Jesus models for us what it means to actually serve the other. Gary Chapman has this quote in his book. He says, by acts of service, I mean doing things you know he or she would like you to do. You seek to please them by serving them, to express your love for them by doing things for them. And so what's your play? This morning, if you've got somebody in your life who's significant to you, who you love, who you care about, and you know their primary love language is acts of service, and that's going to be a win for you, what's your play? What's your move? It's this. It's a question. And I really believe that if if every single one of us asked this question and then answered it with our actions, our marriages would be different. Our roommate situation would be different. This relationship that we're just beginning would be different. Then maybe even the ways in which we interact with our kids would be different. If we asked this question and then if we answered it with our actions. And the question is this. How can I help? It's really simple, but it's profound. Can you imagine if if each of us walked into situations and we began to notice things that were happening because we're asking ourselves the questions, how can I help? We're noticing where there is need and we're showing up into environments going, how can I help? How can I help? And then we actually do something about it and we help. You see, that has the power, I think, to change our relationships and help us to effectively communicate love, especially with those in our lives who acts of service is their primary love language. So let's pass it over to Pastor Glenn, who's going to talk a little bit about Physical touch. Physical touch. Boom. I love you, man. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, 
Thanks a lot, Eric, because actually my weakness, we're tied for weakness with acts of service and probably tied for our favorites with words of affirmation. So Kimberly's over there with her elbow just making my right-hand side just sore. Shiny Saturday? Really? Really? Okay. Um, Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. Uh, Kimberly, uh, she'll sometimes, you know, she'll say, that's the 20th time you've told me today that you love me. Now wash the dishes, okay? Because it's like, st- stop telling me you love me so much, you know. Uh, do, some, do an act of service. Well, here's another one, and that's physical touch. And here's the big idea. Touch communicates acceptance. And I love how God is multilingual, how Jesus is multilingual. In the stories he told, in the example that he gave, I love this part of the, this verse uh, from the prodigal son, uh, Luke 15, verse 20. So he, the prodigal son, got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. And a few months ago, Pastor Eric preached on how this was countercultural. Uh, elderly men uh, did not run, especially to younger men or to their sons. But he ran to his son, here's the part, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And that son, by that physical touch, knew I'm welcome back into the family. I'm accepted. I'm loved. I'm forgiven by that action of a bear hug and and a kiss. And then I love these two verses. Uh, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. I'd never really paid attention to that phrase. Covered with leprosy from head to toe. This man may not have been touched for years It may have been decades since the last time a human being dared to touch him because he was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Healing was the most important part. The spiritual healing, forgiveness, was the most important part. Second most important part for this man was the healing. But I think a close second was the touch of Jesus. After all those years, I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. You know, parents, this is especially important if our children have the love language of physical touch. And you know, I wrote in my notes here, even in the teenage years. And you know what I did? I crossed out the word even and put in the word instead, especially in the teenage years, especially in the teenage years. I still remember uh, my dad thought I was asleep. I, I was in bed. I was 16 years old, and my dad thought that I was asleep, but I was actually still awake, and he slipped in the door, leaned over, and kissed me on the forehead, and slipped back out once again. And my dad was great at all the love languages, as was my mom. Really hit the lottery with parents, I'm telling you. But you know, uh, I still remember that 44 years later, I still remember my dad slipping into my bedroom, leaning over a 16-year-old gawky gawky teenager kid, you know, kissed me on the cheek and slipped back out of the room once again. Okay, here's what's your play. Use appropriate touch to communicate warmth and acceptance. Now, appropriate is a very important word here, okay? I mean, in church, in church, this is something hard to figure out sometimes, okay? I mean, especially for you know, me as a pastor. I mean, just a few days ago, I went in, there was a young lady, and I went in for a handshake, and she wanted a hug. What's more awkward is when you go in for a hug, and they want a handshake, okay? And they're like this, and you're like, oh, and then you shake your hands. Um, our son-in-law, uh, Kenny, he had a law professor. 
who said the reason he was a Presbyterian is that he didn't want to be hugged at church. And I got such a kick out of that. Growing up Presbyterian, I thought that was the great. And so some people want to be hugged at church. Some people don't want to be hugged at church. You figure out what your teammate wants, and then you love them in that appropriate way. And now here's one that we're both bad at. Oh, our poor kids giving and receiving gifts. Okay. And poor Kimberly, you've learned to be disappointed at birthdays, Christmas... Mother's Day, basically a lot of disappointment going on. Okay, here we go. Actually, the question that I have for you, now think hard. Do you know what happens eight weeks from today? Christmas! And some of you are like, yeah, I know. I've had all the gifts bought and wrapped and under the tree since July. And some of you are like, oh, not again, Christmas again, we just had Christmas. And if you're like my husband, Glenn, you will be in CVS Christmas Eve night looking for presents. (laughs) Or worse, Christmas morning, you will say to the children, open it quick, I want to know what I got you. (laughs) What did your mom get you again? Hey, hey, isn't that true? We were talking. No, sorry. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I just wanted to catch him. I'm like the worst husband ever. Yeah. The gift of your attention would be very appreciated right now. It was business. Worse. Worse. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just pulling his leg. Okay, so you need to remember, if you're like me, if you're like Glenn, that gift giving is a love language. Receiving gifts is a love language. And we're not talking about Christmas or birthdays or any of the required gift times. We're not talking about something that's been earned like an allowance. It's not something that's been deserved or a reward or a trophy of any kind. Gift giving doesn't matter about the cost. Someone who has the gift of receiving gifts doesn't even care about that. What is the most important part of giving and receiving gifts? the thought behind it. The the gift of love language basically says, I have been thinking about you while we were apart. I know you. I know what matters to you. I care about you. And I know your interests. And I know what you've been looking for or wanting. And I happen to see it. I thought of you and I wanted you to have it. Oh my goodness, that's their gift. You do that to a gift giver, you give that to someone who has the gift of receiving gifts, imagine how loved they feel. It may be awkward for you, it may be awkward for me, but it's worth the time and effort to figure out what that person needs and wants. Now, we've had one moment of glory that we did this right, and I'm just going to share it with you, not bragging, but bragging a little. Um, We have six kids, and they all have different love languages. It's a little tricky. But I'll tell you what, one year we got it right for our daughter, Abigail. Now, do we have Abigail? She's, uh, you know, our 30-year-old now. But when she was 16, she played sports, and she wanted that. She wanted so badly to have that letterman's jacket. So important, she wanted that letterman's jacket. They're costly, and we told her, we just don't have the money this year for Christmas. That just can't happen. Uh, besides, the, the date has passed to turn in your money and so forth, babe, and so this isn't going to happen for you until Christmas morning. And when she opened up that big box, and you could imagine the love language that we had given her as a gift receiver, and she jumped out and put on her Letterman's jacket. This was what we bought for Abigail, how many years? 14 years ago. 
And I called her the other day and I said, you know, we're going to, you know, show your picture and so forth. And she goes, Mom, I know where the Letterman's jacket is. You could go get it and show it. All these years later, she knows where that is. And she knew how to tell me where to get it. And she was pleased we were talking about it. And she's probably watching right now. Hi, Ab. And uh, she's our gift receiver and a great gift giver and knows how to reach into our lives and think about us. And I have to remember, that's her gift to me. And I need to receive it. And this is where Jesus comes in as a wonderful role model. And I know you have the scripture in front of you from Luke 7, 44 through 47. And I'm just going to summarize it for you now. And, and when you get home, take a look at it. But it's a beautiful picture of Jesus there again being multilingual and receiving from this woman who when one night Jesus went to dinner at the home of a Pharisee and in came a woman as they're reclining there at dinner and she came in and everybody knew that she was a woman of ill repute. She was, had been a prostitute. She'd also received the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ and she was a new woman and she was so grateful to him that she went in and while he was eating, she knelt at his feet and she was so taken with it that she began to cry. And she took her hair and dried the tears from his feet. And then she pulled out an alabaster jar. And with the most extravagant gift that she could think of, poured expensive perfume on his feet. This was her gift of love. This was her love language to give to her Messiah, her Savior. And Jesus knew her well enough to gratefully receive this gift. Although the, the other Pharisees were highly critical, Jesus allowed her to do this because he said her sins have been forgiven. And so she's expressing her love through this act. And he received her gift so graciously. Such a reminder that he's multilingual and we aren't, but we need to work on that. If this is challenging, if this is awkward, you have to learn to speak this love language for this individual in your life because it means so much. This is how they will know that you love them. So here's the game plan. We do have a game plan that's got a lot to do with football, so I really want you to hang tough. Oh, is that the next one is that we do know that you don't get extra points on the scoreboard by giving gifts. That just isn't how it works. You do it because it's a love language. But secondly, what we want you to think about is that you study your teammates' skill set. You look at their hobbies. You look at what they're interested in. You might even make a list of what you know that they enjoy, their passions, their, their cares, their concerns, the things that matter to them. And then you act on it. The second thing you do is you run their play. You give them what they want, not what you want to give, but what they want to receive. Because their love language is receiving. They interpret your love by you reaching into their lives. Remember how hard it is to be grateful for something you didn't want? And you put them in that awkward spot. But instead, you learn your friend, your loved one, your spouse, your child, and learn how to pour into them. And the rewards will be great, as Sarah said later. We can't lose when we build this love relationship between one another. Now, I have somebody special to bring up for you. It's my pleasure and honor to once again introduce you to Sarah Holmstrom. <laughs> Words of affirmation. Words are so powerful, and they always have been. I love this. I love that when God created the world, he used words. And in the same way, words that we share with others through spoken words or text messages or comments on social media or letters, they have the power of death and life behind them. Words are so powerful. Now, a couple weekends ago, my family and I went to Texas for a wedding, and we, this was our first time flying with our three kids. We were a little nervous, and I'm a nervous flyer anyway, so I need to focus on the plane not crashing, and I can't focus on my kids, you know? So anyway, the plane ride there was okay, but the way back, 
It was like something out of a horror movie. My middle child decided to have the most epic tantrum I've ever seen anybody's kid have in the middle of the aisle. And at the same time, I'm holding the baby, and she's crying, and then our older son, he wants the iPad, and it died, and everybody, it's just meltdown. And people are staring and glaring and looking at me, and I'm trying to avoid eye contact, and I'm so embarrassed and feeling like I don't know what to do other than bribe, and it's just not working. So then the way home, we landed, we eventually got there, and we're driving home from from the airport, and we were taking my sister home, who's an APU student, my youngest sister, Kelly, and she has the gift of encouragement. She has such sweet words that God has gifted her with, and we're driving, and I'm sitting in the front seat thinking about the day, and she's in the back seat, and she just said, Sarah, can you write a how-to manual someday of how to be a great mom? And I'm up there like, what did she just say? Totally shocked. And she says it again. She says, you were just so patient with them on the airplane and so kind and sweet and you knew what to do. And I just started crying. My, my eyes were welling up. She couldn't see me. And I turned to her in the back and I said, you just made my whole week. And she really did because that was exactly the encouragement that I needed to hear at the moment. I am a huge words person. I love being affirmed daily, and I, I get such wonderful affirmation from Eric, from my husband, and I love it also from, from family and from friends and from coworkers, and even from myself. I love to print out scripture, remember and recall what God says is true about me, and say it over and over again, especially when I'm feeling weak or feeling low. And the author of Hebrews reminds us just how important words are and how powerful they are. It says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I love this. It says, encourage each other daily, and the opposite of that is a hardening of our hearts. I think this is so powerful. So wives, when we withhold encouragement from our husbands, we're actually helping to create a hardened heart against themselves and against us. And, and, and husbands and fathers, when we withhold words from each other, from our kids and, and from your wives, you're actually creating a hardening of their hearts. And, and boyfriends and girlfriends and friends and coworkers and family, when we uplift each other with our words every day, we're doing more than just being kind and being nice. We're actually fighting against the hardening of hearts. I think that is so powerful and so cool. And besides just helping to soften one another's hearts, when we encourage them, we're also building courage. That's what encouragement means. And maybe unlocking potential. This quote from the book by Gary Chapman is so awesome. It says, most of us have more potential than we will ever develop. What holds us back is often a lack of courage. So sometimes when we encourage others, when we uplift them with our words, we might actually be driving them to unlock their full potential and to do things that maybe they never could have done if we hadn't used our words to encourage them. Um, Another note about words, if you are like me and you are a big words person, the enemy will lie to you. The enemy does lie to us and, and likes to make us forget what we know to be true. So what's so important is to write down these truths from scripture. We can Google it. We can write them down for ourselves and for others and remind each other, what does God say about us? What does God say that we are and that he is? I love this quote. My friend Tina reminded me of this quote. It says, the devil knows your name but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but calls you by your name. 
He calls us by our names. And, and my husband, Eric, will remind me. Sometimes he'll look at me and say, Sarah, you are a daughter of the king, and he loves you, and he is pleased with you. And I so take that to heart and need to hear that and be reminded of that. And since that is true about us, since that's true about God, we need to daily use our words to encourage each other, to write down these truths, to remind each other who we are and uplift each other. Now, what is your play for this one? What are we going to do if we need to speak words better and more often? This is pretty easy. See and share. Pretty easy to remember. See. Take note. What do people you love, what kind of things can you appreciate about them? And not just, I love your hair, cool bow tie, but, but real qualities about who they are. Take note of that. Write it down if you need to, or say it right then when you see them, or send them a text message or an email or a note of encouragement. You never know the power of your words or how that could completely change somebody's life and uplift their hearts and soften their heart and start to change them. If we do this daily for one another, we will see exponential growth and change in our relationships. And the most affirming person I know is going to close us out. (laughs) (laughs) You're the best. You're the best. Um, Wow, what a, what a morning. I, I wonder as you're beginning to think and, and process, which of these primary love languages is yours? But I want you to also think maybe, what are the primary love languages of the people that God has put in your sphere of influence, in your oikos, your family and your friends and your kids and your roommates and your neighbors? Are they quality time? Are they acts of service? Are they physical touch? Maybe giving and receiving gifts or maybe words of affirmation? You know, I think about this idea that that Kimberly brought up in the beginning. I thought it was so profound that Jesus was multilingual and his followers should be too. And so we've got to step up our game in terms of how we are loving the people around us. Just after our last service ended, a woman came up to me and shared that she has been married 34 years and they're still trying to figure this out. So this is something that we need to continue to work on, to continue to work on. And I, I want to close with uh, one of Gary Chapman's quotes, and I think it really summarizes the book. It summarizes the heart of God behind how we should love one another and, and really the attitude that we should have. And he says this, no matter how hard you try to express love in English, if he or she only knows Chinese, you will never understand how to love each other. We must be willing, this is the key, we must be willing to learn the other's primary love language if we are to be effective communicators of love. Yeah, I, I think that there's some marriages in this room who are on the rocks right now and things are really tough. I think there's maybe a roommate conflict that, man, you're just thinking about bailing or, or, or you had all these visions and dreams of what your relationships with your kids would look like and, and it's not really panning out. Now, I don't know where that brokenness is relationally for you, but I wonder, what if? What if we applied the teachings of Jesus and, and what if we took seriously these five love languages and we said, man, as followers of Jesus, we're gonna follow him in the way he loved and so we are gonna become multilingual in the way we love the people God has put in our lives. I wonder, I wonder how our marriages might look different next Sunday. I wonder how our relationships with our kids and roommates and coworkers and some of you have boss, as bosses and leaders and supervisors, what if you began to get to know the people that God has put under you that you are leading? What if you got to know them and you discovered what their love languages were and you began to serve them and care for them and love them in the way that they were wired to receive it? I think things would look different next week. And so let's be the people of God who love radically, who love passionately, who love intentionally. Would you stand up with me as we receive our benediction? And let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much 
for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to dive deep into what does it mean to actually love the people that are in our lives. Not passively love them and not love them in easy ways that come naturally, but to really love the people that you have put in our lives the way that they will best receive love. That's what we're after. And so God, I pray that you would heal marriages, that you would restore relationships through this idea that we are called to love passionately, proactively, and intentionally. So God, would we learn this playbook and would we love the way you loved? In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. We'll see you guys next Sunday. Love you.